Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Tokyo FinTech podcast. Today, we welcome Asaf Marko, who is the general manager of Sampo Cybersecurity. Good morning, Asaf. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. So Sampo, of course, is one of the three mega insurers here in Japan that basically split the market among them. But you're not directly in the insurance business. You're creating a subsidiary focused on cybersecurity services. Maybe we'll explain that to the listeners a bit more. Yes, actually, it's very interesting. It's kind of a new new thing that is happening in in Japan to create uh, innovation in the new business. Sampo, I think, was a pioneer that what our CEO said that the insurance is going to decline as we go, uh, it will be it will be change anyways. And he wanted to create new business for the company. So um, Sompo established a digital lab in Tokyo. Their mission was to create new opportunities for Sompo. Uh, my boss saw that it doesn't matter which digital business you are going to do, the security part will be very meaningful for it and for the uh, future. So he started to investigate and research. Actually, he started the Sompo Cybersecurity Project slash business two years ago. Ever since then, also the digital lab of Sompo expanded to two offices, one in Silicon Valley and the other one in uh, Tel Aviv in uh, Israel, which their mission is to explore new technologies and new business and to adopt it in Japan and in Sompo. Security started, I think we went to business around October 2018. I joined the company in September 2018, and we actually started from two technologies that we brought from Israel, which we are still focusing on. One is Panorays, which is a third-party risk assessment. Very interesting. We can talk about it later. And the other one is Threat Intelligence by Verint. But ever since then, we expanded in human resources, in solutions, and of course, in the market. So do you run your own independent P&L for this unit? So actually, I'm in charge of, we call it product strategy. Product strategy team currently is three teams. Because we're we kind of new venture, so we still have small teams, but the functions are very meaningful because they're going to expand. My team is, as I mentioned, divided by three teams. One is the pre-sale team, engineering team. And the other one is the technology team, which is, we call it our brain, developing new services for the market. And the third one, which is another combination, is with a small to medium-sized, focus on the small to medium-sized businesses and marketing. So this is the product strategy. And of course, um, in our PNL we have sales. We also have operation team and business support. So that's my role in this. Got it. Thank you. And so you mentioned the Israeli companies that you brought in first, but you also said you have the technology team developing your own product. So you're both actually analyzing the market, seeing what is out there, what is best of breed type of solution, and where is the gap in the Japanese market? You then develop your own. So we're not not currently, we're not developing our own. We're, you know, if you bring technology from outside, any foreign technology, it has to be developed to the Japanese market, localized to to the Japanese market. If it's a service or if it's a product, then you have some commercialization step that you need to take. And this is the the role of this team. So yes, we find, uh, we try to find a gap in the market. We do some scouting with our Israeli friends, Israeli office. And then we start with the product pricing, promotion, adjusting the service to that will fit the Japanese customer and so on. 
Understood. So it's more the localization part. You mentioned the SME segment in particular, which of course is the bulk of the Japanese businesses are SME companies. So it's a huge part of the market. Are there any sectors you're focusing on specifically and the industries? Not specifically. The SMB market worldwide is kind of security neglected. I think it's a very weak link. It's a part of 10 of enterprises. And I think uh, globally, it's a very important uh, place to uh, build up security. There's not a lot of awareness to the business owners and budget. So you need to adjust the product and the service that you're going to bring to this market and have to invest a lot in uh, promoting and educating the market. The SMB, we are dividing it all businesses into the medium size. The definition is, is uh, more focused on the, you know, the budget and the capability of the business. So if you have a medium-sized business, which is, let's say, in a sensitive market, like where you come from, the financial market, so on. So they, I think their awareness, the risk level, they have more awareness. And of course, they're locating budget uh, for that. And the solutions are much like the enterprise level solutions, but probably a little bit less extended or a lighter version of the enterprise level. In the small size companies, that's a real uh, challenge. I think that enterprises understand the risk, as I mentioned, as they are part of the supply chain. And the service level should be good enough for protection. This is what we're doing in Sompo Cybersecurity. We're focusing on the protection level, and it needs to be light enough and economical enough that it makes sense for the company to take it. And how are you going to install it? How are you going to reach to hundreds of thousands of businesses. It's not like, like enterprise where you have centralized management and you can you know, make government and the security team would, would do all the rest. With the small businesses, actually, you have to also consider how are they going to install the product. So it's very interesting. Yeah, and I think when we had Matsubara-san at our meetup, she was quoting some survey that was done Kansai area, and the outcome was that the small businesses have the equivalent of $5,000 to spend on cybersecurity on average, which doesn't really buy you much protection. So how can you possibly scale your business to hundreds of thousands of clients that only have such a small wallet size? It's a, it's a mess. It's a mess uh, market. This is how you're going to uh, expand. We are looking only at some pause you know, insurance company. They have more than 300,000 small businesses that they're insuring, not in cyber, in other things. You know, Miho is coming from NTT, so you understand that there's um, a big competition in getting those and getting to penetrate this market because it's a mass market. And you can do the calculation by yourself. If you have, I think it's more than 20% of the economy. So it's $5,000 one by one looking to expand. And as I mentioned before, the way to expand it and the way to make installation, you have to think of some kind of digital platform in order to have everybody to support all those kind of businesses. So when I'm a client of Sompo, do you already offer cybersecurity insurance? And so if I use also your services and you know on what standard I'm actually protected and I get a discount on my policy? Cyber insurance is uh, in an early stage. Trump has a lot of motivation to get ground in this area when it comes to cyber uh, insurance. But if cybersecurity in Japan is, you know, it's I, didn't, I don't want to say early state, but it's, you know, evolving. I think that insurance is one step behind. 
So the way to calculate the risk, the way to build up a policy is still early, but we do offer course insurance for uh, SMBs and you can get it uh, with some of our services as well. Okay, so the market development would be to make sure that there is a base level of cybersecurity in, in the first place and then collect also data through that that you need essentially in the underwriting process to price it correctly then. Correct, yes. And so you were saying earlier at the beginning also that Sompo is branching out into different areas. And so cybersecurity is one. What are other businesses outside of insurance that Sompo is engaging in? There are a few, a little bit early to talk about, but I can tell you that uh, Sompo Digital Lab in Israel and also in Silicon Valley are thinking about many business uh, opportunity and digital business opportunities in many stores. Automotive, Sompo is one of the biggest automotive insurer in, in Japan. And we are looking how to complete our service with a, a digital automotive solution in many aspects. Cyber is one of them. We're looking for InsurTech, of course. InsurTech is a big market globally. And how are we going to digitize the insurance capabilities in Japan as well? We're also looking for, I think they're looking for us in agriculture. Agriculture is a big market in Japan and is changing how to digitize some of it. And I think these are the main things. So you bring up Israel a few times. Obviously, it's startup nation. There's so much going on and the ties between Japan and Israel have been improving dramatically over the last six or seven years. You're obviously born and raised there. How do you view that whole relationship and which role have you played throughout your career in helping Israeli companies with the market entry here in Japan? I think that um, it's amazing the attraction that we have between Israel and Japan in nowadays. Uh, before the COVID-18 situation, we had, I think, every week there's a delegation from uh, Japan to Israel and vice versa. So I was a part of the Israeli embassy. In my role, I um, used to promote the Israeli cyber industry and physical security industry in Japan. So I had the chance to be a part of it, a part of uh, bringing those two nations uh, together. The embassy, and they are still uh, doing a really amazing job with their partners in Israel, is to trying to facilitate facilitate the situation to make the best out of it by all kinds of uh, events and delegation and uh, company support. And I was part of that. When I first started my my role, uh, I think that not a lot of company knew, knew about uh, Israel. So I really had to be a little bit rude and actually knock on every door of a Japanese enterprise and trying to um, show them a little bit about Israel and Israeli innovation and how the Israeli startup can support those enterprises. I'm very happy from the reserve currently. I think cybersecurity is one of the biggest interests between the two countries. One of the things that we have done is trying to build a framework between the two uh, governments. So we did that with uh, METI, the Ministry of Economy, here in Japan and in uh, Israel, and also with the Ministry of Communication. Both of them, I think, are the leading offices for cybersecurity. So it will be the framework between the two countries, and I'm, I'm very proud of it, and I hope it will continue. 
what I'm doing today is trying to take it a step forward in with the actual business relation. And for me, it's very interesting to see, you know, we have two different business cultures, two different how to conduct those uh, relationships. And I'm still in the middle of it. So it's very interesting to see how to bridge it and make it happen. And hopefully it also will a business success as well. So I'm really happy of what is become and how to move it forward. It will be really, really interesting uh, to see. Talk a little bit about the culture as many of the presentations I've seen from Israeli startups or also from the trade minister talks about the Israeli culture being very direct, which is an 180 degrees opposite of the Japanese way of doing things. How do you feel personally in the middle now? Are you 50% Japanese, 50% Israeli? And how do you help companies adjusting to that when they come to the market for the first time? That's a good question. I'm becoming 98% Japanese. I don't know if it's a compliment or not. I learned during my time here to be, you know, in Japan, you call it aggressive. In Israel, it's normal. So becoming less direct, I guess, and more patient. We always laugh about it. I have another colleague, which uh, we are brought from Israel, a cyber expert, and, he's, and we are talking to each other how we became more peaceful when we are in Japan, which is different from our personality changes in uh, Israel. But yes, uh, now that I also have a management position to see how to convey a message to my managers, to the team, that's a real art. So yes, we have a big difference in uh, culture. I can see that also from the Israeli side, For me, you know, I'm telling them if you want to be aggressive, I think they are feeling very comfortable talking to me and I know they really want to be more aggressive and to gain more market share. So I'm kind of keeping everybody in distance and I think Japanese team is doing a great job because they know how to penetrate the, the market, what kind of steps uh, we need uh, to take. I hope it's going to work good and the business and time will tell. So it's really finding a good product that you think has market potential here and then using people versed in Japanese business practices to push it out in the very unique way that is specific to the Japanese market. Yes, exactly, exactly. You also talk about managing a team and given the situation we're in when we prep for this, you mentioned that you're all working remotely now. Mm -hmm. and maybe for a little bit longer, which is also a complete change to how Japanese businesses have operated before, which is really an in-person business culture. So how do you see your team adapting to that? And are there any tips or tricks, any like small things that you've implemented to help this transition? Actually, I'm, I'm surprised and amazed how things work. I think the sense of uh, urgency in Japan exists because, you know, of the natural disaster. This is one thing that I'm, that it's, I don't know, it feels very natural. One day we decided that we're going to work from home and that's it. You know, I had my, my message to the team. We're going to work from home. Try to make yourself comfortable however you can. And that's it. We're doing, you know, web meetings all the time. There are, of course, few things which are not working, which can work better if we are doing face-to-face, -face, but it's really not. Not a, not a must. And I'm really surprised how things will change. I think that things will be different in Japan. Maybe if you're talking to another, you know, foreign company, it doesn't make such a... You know, it's not a big deal to work from home because uh, most of the tech companies can work from home or have some kind of uh, flexibility in that. But, uh, you know, you probably you know Japan better than me. It's quite a change. 
it seems that most of the Japanese economy is going to work like that. Most of the businesses are going to work from uh, home. The emergency situation was lifted, I think, two days ago. And we decided that we're going to continue with the same working, you know, work style. Maybe have uh, one or two people just answering the phone if we need it. And I guess it's going to continue in the next year or so. Let's see what will happen. I'm really curious. For now, it seems like everything is working good. I took my position in April 1st in the new Japanese financial year. I haven't made my team face-to-face. That's uh, my, my first time doing that. And not only me, and the new ma- we have new managers that also haven't met their team face-to-face, only via the, the laptop. So it's interesting, you know, it's really interesting how, how the leadership actually changes. How do you lead people from the screen? Many things, I guess, will change and we, we need to adjust accordingly. I find personally surprising and positively surprising about what you're sharing here is that got more friends in banking based on my background. And it seems to me, anecdotally, it's obviously not a scientific survey, that the banks have been a bit more unprepared and have difficulty making the decisions that you at some point made where everybody is working from home. So they needed many more people still to remain in the office. In my mind, I always said the banks are a little bit more advanced in technology than the insurance companies. But hearing this radical switch, and clearly there needs to be the technology also that supports it, is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's a new world. It's a new technological world. And we see how, how it's going to be adopted. We call it the new normal. Everybody's calling it the new normal, even in Japan. So I think it will give companies a chance to really be, you know, innovated and digitalized. We are living in Japan as foreigners. We'll see how many things can be digitalized like we see in our home countries. And I think it's a good chance for Japan to develop. And of course, security is the foundation of anything digital. So I'm really looking forward to see what will happen next. In a way, Japan had been a little bit safe in cybersecurity terms because there's still so much paper in the service sector in particular. Banking and insurance, it's still all paper and faxes. And once everything becomes digital, then you get hacked and, of course, much more exposure. So take it back to the cybersecurity role. There are people out there who say there is a cyber war going on and there's the US and Russia and North Korea. Many people would view Israel as leading nation in cybersecurity, also in the, the government and defense forces. Maybe we'll start with the global view. What's your global view of the players? And then we'll move to Japan specifically. I think you have today five or six top nations in cybersecurity, the U.S., China, Russia, U.K., France and Israel. I think all the others are a step behind. You know, there was a really big cyber attack last month. I think actually this month in Israel. I'm I'm not sure it was published in the foreign news, but I think it's a game changer. There was an attack on Israel water system. It failed, of course. But this kind of attack, it's actually like a war declaration because it's an attack on that can cause death. And I think this is the first time that this kind of attack uh, happened. And I'm, of course, very happy that it was defended by uh, Israel. But that's a really globally and interesting issue. And I think it's also going to change. And it happened during the COVID period. Globally, I think that's, that's going to be very interesting. 
I got a report from my uh, partners, uh, Verint is an Israeli-American uh, company, one of the leading in uh, intelligence, and it was a very interesting, the report was very interesting. By the way, you can download it from our website, but it says that um, some of the attacks are, or there's a growth in attack on hospitals because the situation makes hospitals a weak link and cyber criminals see it and they want to get an advantage of it. There's a growth, I think, by 20% of uh, attacks in hospitals globally. There's an increase in general in uh, numbers of offensive uh, campaign. Uh, we talked about changing the work environment of working from home, and I think it's a risk for many companies as well. The remote work, there's an increase in phishing emails, there's an increase in mail spam as the first target vector. A lot of companies are not prepared to work from home, especially I think in Japan. How do you secure your access to your organization remotely? Those kind of things will define the next few months, maybe years, for making a better preparation for that. Many of the public utilities are also poorly protected. And, and sometime in, in the U.S., if I look at the electricity grid in the U.S., it's creaking infrastructure. And when was it 2011 or 12 or so when we had an outage in the whole northeast and New York mm. without electricity. And you think about these things happening possibly during a crisis like we're in now, if anybody attacks the grid there, I mean, we're multiplying the number of casualties very rapidly. So it's a great concern. Gary, yeah. And specifically, we have now one more year to get prepared, the Olympics, hopefully then in 2021. They've always been seen as a prime target for hackers who want to become famous. How much more famous can you get but to bring down an Olympic event, like the opening ceremony, for example? What's your perspective on the preparedness? And obviously, one more year will, will help. What needs to still get done to be comfortable? That's interesting. I, I think the uh, Olympic Games were the biggest motivation for the preparation of Japan when it comes to cybersecurity. Good communication the Olympic Committee when I was working at the embassy, but in the last two years, I wasn't a part of it. I know there are a lot of good guys there, very smart guys. I saw part of the preparation, but I think what you said was correct. The public infrastructure, I'm not sure that Japan is already set there. So I guess they will continue to do more protecting those uh, infrastructure. I think that's the biggest uh, gap. Saw a lot of preparation on the IT system. I didn't see a lot on the operation uh, technology systems uh, or was not involved in it. So I think that's the biggest uh, challenge for the next uh, year for Japan. And so maybe to round it out, there is a technology side of cybersecurity, but there's also obviously human side, especially in phishing, as, as you mentioned, and needs to be a continuous training element of making people educated and aware that when they get an email, that they look at the header, that they check links before they click them, if they click them at all. Other programs that you're providing that help training the humans on it or that you maybe even run inside of Sampo itself? Yes, you're absolutely right. This is the first and very important uh, attack 
vector and many enterprises should uh, prepare. Training is, uh, of course, uh, one of them. We are providing email phishing um, training to employees in different ways. One is consulting and the other one is digitized. We're working with another Israeli partner. It's called Iron Scales, one of the leading uh, email protection companies in the world. And apart from their platform, it's phishing email training. So we are providing that as well. Excellent. Well, you're in a super exciting market that's only bound to grow, unfortunately, to some extent, because there's so much hacking going on and, and criminal activity. It sounds like a great business to be in to grow for the next 10 years. So we wish you best of luck. Thank you very much for taking the time for the Tokyo Fintech podcast. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Hope we can do that again. 